We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, hi again, everyone. I'm 1010 Wins Sports Director Mark Renee. This is On The Mark, where we take a look at the stories behind the stories in the world of sports. Today, we are talking about the sport of bowling, specifically women's bowling, and even more specifically, Fairleigh Dickinson University's women's bowling team, which is heading to the NCAA tournament in Kansas City as the Northeast Conference Tournament champions. The Knights will face Sam Houston State in the opening round of the NCAAs on Wednesday. Their record 35-3 and so far in 2021. And joining me in part one of our look at the Knights is Jenna Henderson. She is a senior from Washington Borough in New Jersey in Warren County, not to be confused with uh, the Washington Township in Bergen County. She's one of four seniors on the Fairleigh Dickinson roster. And we say good morning and welcome, Jenna. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So how exciting is this to be heading to the NCAA tournament in just a couple of days? This is so exciting. You know, we had a short season, but our hard work is really paying off and we're so excited to be going to the national championships. Now, how cool is it? You've gotten attention from Governor Murphy. I saw a tweet from Senator Booker. What's it been like? It's been really cool. You know, we nobody really knows about bowling or, you know, we don't get a lot of press that other teams might. But, you know, it's been nice to kind of make a name for ourselves out there. Okay, now I don't want to give them a free commercial, but where is your home, in air quotes, court, your home alley? Um, we bowl at a couple different centers around the area. We've been at Parkway Lanes. We've been at Bowler City. We were at Lodi for a little while. So you bounced around the area, Elmwood Park and uh, Hackensack, right? So you pretty much uh, Bergen County based, just like the campus in Teaneck. Um, I have to ask because obviously activities and sports have been severely impacted by the pandemic and the coronavirus for the, you know, beyond a year now. And I am, to be perfectly frank, one of those who do consider bowling a sport, even if a lot of other people call it something else like an activity, but I think it's a sport. Uh, how has the sport of bowling in general, Jenna, been impacted by COVID? Because it seems you can, for the most part, maintain a social distance and you use your own ball. Um, but I'm just curious to know, uh, how difficult is it to deal with, uh, you know, sanitizing and things like that while you're trying to uh, compete? I mean, luckily for us, like you said, we do have our own stuff. So 
you know, what we have, we touch, we use, and we don't have to worry about it getting like contaminated or anything. It's just like, you know, bowling alleys seem cleaner now almost because they have to be cleaned so much because of, you know, public using the shoes, the balls, tables and chairs, like everything gets clean more. So if anything, it kind of helped uh, promote cleanliness in the bowling world. I mean, it was always clean, but I mean, for us, you know, the only thing that really changed is that we wear our masks all the time when we're bowling, you know, before we didn't have to wear masks, but you know, we make it work. Now you're a senior at Fairly. You have been uh, bowling. I know you're pretty accomplished or you were pretty accomplished uh, back in your high school days at Warren Hills. Uh, when did you take up bowling and uh, please tell us why you took up bowling? Um, I started bowling when I was right around six just started in like a little bumper league. Uh, my parents got me into it. My, I come from a type of bowling family. You know, my parents bowled, my grandparents on both sides bowled. And especially like on my mom's side, uh, my grandpa on that side was really like, hey, make sure you get her into bowling. <laughs> and, you know, here I am. <laughs> so you must love, you've been at it since you're six years old. So it's uh, the better part of uh, 15 years, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm 22 now, so it's been it's even beyond a good that. chunk of my life, yeah. All right, so I have to ask, because uh, my high score is 230, I, I'm going to guess yours is much higher than that. 299. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm compelled to ask you, where was it, and what were the circumstances? Um, I've had three. No, two, three. Wait, you've had uh, more than one 299? Yes. Oof. I had two like a week apart at one point uh, a couple years ago when I was still bowling the Saturday league. Like I did it at my home house, um, Oakwood Lanes in Washington. I did it in the Saturday morning league. And then the next Saturday there was a tournament at the same place. And I shot 299 like both days. But I just same, can't get the last pin to fall, man. Same lane. Well, I wanted to get back to that, but was it on the same lane? I know it was in the same house. Uh, was it was it the not same on lane? the same lane. Okay, because so. that would be really weird. Um, so I, I hate to bring this up, but you have 11 strikes. What's going through your head as you approach the line for that 12th? I mean, I just want to throw a good shot because I, I know, like, I'm aware of what's happening and, like, everybody around you kind of stops bowling because they're like, ooh, let's see, can she do it? And, like, I just like to keep going. Like, you know, I want the world to keep moving. I don't want to, like, dwell on, like, oh, my gosh, this could happen right now. But, I mean, I just want to get up there and, you know, throw the good shot. If it carries, it carries. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I know I've been nervous on that last shot you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, I could do this right now. And then, okay. Yeah. Like I'm still just happy to get the 11 in a row. Cause sometimes the strikes don't come easy. Right. Okay. So obviously if you got nine pins on that last shot, you were right there. What goes through your head as the ball is rolling and heading toward the head pin and you see the last one doesn't go down and it's happened to you more than once. I just can't even imagine the the, the crushing feeling that I would have if that were me. Yeah. I mean, the first time I just know I was really nervous and I almost left a split and then like a pin fell down. Like it wasn't the best shot. So like, it was weird. 
and I was just like hoping to get you know <laughs> pins I mean like so I was just that nervous I was like oh my gosh I gotta just throw the shot like this was like maybe five years ago and then when I went the back-to-back weeks I was like oh you know good shots and then it just didn't carry so you know it's like oh carry carry no <laughs> but I mean wow do what you can <laughs> wow and the fact that you were able to do it twice in you know a span of eight days is remarkable uh what's your average if you don't mind me asking um we do averages a little differently in college because we have like frame averages for baker because that's when five people will share one game so like you just get two frames a game so we kind of do frame average for that and then we also have the traditional games as part of our matches um so I'm not sure exactly where I'm at right now. Okay. You beat me to my next question because I had on the list the difference between traditional matches, these Baker match play matches, and then I know uh, you've had these mega matches too. So please clue me and the rest of our audience in, if you don't mind. Yes. So the traditional match is just like a normal bowling game. You know, five people from the team all bowl one game like each. So we have, you know, the five lines going across for the Baker. Um, five people from the team will share one game. So everyone gets like two frames. So like the person that goes first gets the sixth frame and so on. Um, and then the mega match is actually a combination of both formats. So it starts with a traditional match. Then it goes into a Baker five game total pinfall. And then if needed, then it goes into a Baker best of seven. Oh, wow. So those matches can go to be like four hours long. That's pretty involved. Now, how does the Baker work? Do you take two frames at a time or can you separate it and maybe do one frame at a time for five people and then cycle through again? How does it work? Yeah, we we do a rotation. So the person that goes first goes in the sixth frame. The second goes the seventh and so on through there. So it's not like a traditional relay, if you will, where somebody would do the first two and then the next would do three and four. And then there'd be the anchor such as it is, would be nine and 10. It doesn't work that way. No. So this one, the anchor has the five and the 10. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. And where do you fall uh, in terms of the rotation ordinarily uh, for Fairleigh Dickinson during a Baker match? For most of this season, uh, I was in the anchor spot. Okay. Okay. So that would lead us to potentially believe you are the quote unquote star on this team. Is that uh, an accurate assessment? I mean, I honestly think like we're all stars because we all put in like the hard work and on days where I might not be doing as well, somebody else steps up or multiple people step up. So, I mean, we all just have each other's back. Okay. I appreciate that. That was uh, a very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That was a, a very uh, non-ego answer. Good team player. Yeah. I so, mean, like I, I have, I have been having, you know, one of the best seasons of my career so far, but you know, I couldn't do it without my team behind me. So. You know. Yeah. It's hard to put up 1500 by yourself. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any idea by the way what is the record uh in a traditional match what's the record score 
Um, for our team, Amy Sherman had a 299 during the conference tournament, actually. This I year? Think there, I, yes, this year. Um, I know in the past there have been 300s, but I'm not sure how recent right. that was. But, but in, terms of, in terms of a team play concept where you have five in a traditional match, there's never been a 1500, right? No. That would be crazy. That, that would be awesome. I mean, yeah. we have shot like 1,200. Which is still pretty darn good. Which is, yeah, that was, you know, those are good matches. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to do the math. I think that's 240, right? <laughs> if I'm doing the math correctly in my head, I think that's a 240 average for five. Yes. Yeah, that, yes. that's pretty good. That that is pretty good. I'm I'm still stuck on your two ninety nines, and and I'm I'm agonizing with you, and visualizing that last shot, and they're not falling. I I don't know how you, I I know I would be curled up under the table and not want to leave. Uh, <laughs> when uh, when you guys get out to Kansas City and uh, get ready to roll on Wednesday, and I apologize for that horrible pun. Um, okay. What do you expect? It. <laughs> what do you expect the uh, the team's uh, attitude, the team's excitement level to be like? Oh, we are just so excited because this is the time to just prove ourselves because, you know, we didn't get a full season like we normally do. And um, we just want to go out there, do the best we can and put it all out there because it's all we got left for this season. Now, it should be noted that um, Fairleigh Dickinson does have two NCAA championship banners hanging from the rafters of the Rothman Center, having won in 2006 and again in 2010, uh, runners-up in 2012. And I thought it was interesting, looking back at uh, the history of the women's NCAA bowling tournament, Jenna, that um, the tournament started, I guess, in 2004, and since then, it seems like only a handful of schools have ever won. Nebraska's got five of them. Uh, Maryland Eastern Shore, which is uh, a place I'm very familiar with down there in Princess Anne, has three championships. And then tied for third are Fairleigh Dickinson, uh, Stephen F. Austin, and Vanderbilt. And then you've got McKendry, which I've told you before, I've never heard of uh, until I saw them uh, on a replay on CBS Sports Network of uh, – a tournament final match from a couple of years ago. So they've got one. And then Sam Houston state, the school you're going to face on Wednesday uh, has one as well. What do you think it is that, that makes um, that, that makes the title count uh, so tight, if you will. I mean, honestly, like the matches are so intense and, it's just, you know, the, the strongest teams come out on top because you could be having a great day, but if somebody's having a better day, it just, it's, it's crazy just how, like, quickly things could change too. Because sometimes you might hit a funky lane and, like, you might be on a high note and then you're like, and then you start scrambling and then the other team, you know, takes an advantage over it or, you know, you might get the advantage over the other team. Jenna, would you know how many schools offhand uh, have uh, NCAA uh, bowling teams that would be eligible to try and compete for the uh, big dance, if you will? I think 
it's somewhere in the 80s range. Okay. Um, I think this is, I was going to say this is the D1, but it's not because McKendry isn't. Right. But it's, right. yeah. And like, there's certain criteria that like qualify the teams as well that like the NCAA committee chooses from that they keep to themselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not to make any trouble but yeah i think you're right but i mean like obviously you know they get the final decision but there are you know a lot of great teams in the ncaa all around the country right so tell me uh, and maybe this is a question better put to coach lapresti in part two of this podcast but what makes fairly dickinson so special in terms of women's bowling what makes you guys a powerhouse? I personally think it's just the hard work that we all put in because we all want to be here and, you know, we all want to win. So we put in the work at the workouts, at the practices to make ourselves better and to try to elevate our games. And like just this year, we've had a lot more or a lot better communication I feel like this team has just kind of clicked and like everybody wants to work with everybody like and that just like is something that you know there might have been some lacking in the past not that that was a bad thing we still did well but this year like I feel like we're just we just communicate a lot better I mean we started the first tournament of the year coach had to stay home because he was considered a close contact to someone so we traveled with an administrator and, you know, we kind of all just work together at the first tournament of the season. Wow. I mean, Which Coach makes to me in his input, but yeah. Yeah. That makes to me the record that you guys have posted 35 and three is uh, maybe even more impressive uh, given that. Would you, um, if you don't mind, take me back a um, little more than a month, uh, February 20th, and you got Coach his 1500th career win and folks that sounds like a lot but what was the most impressive thing to me is that Mike Lepresti is the only coach in NCAA women's bowling history to rack up even a thousand wins and now he's gone 50 percent beyond that so Jenna if you don't mind what was the atmosphere like uh on that day where he got number 1500 uh that was at one of our NEC meets for the season. And I would say, honestly, this might sound bad, but I didn't even know until like we saw the recap article that night that like he hit 1500. And I was like, what? That's, that's so cool. <laughs> so no big celebration afterwards, huh? I mean, of course they wrote a nice little article about him and, uh, at our selection show, Brad presented him with a nice pin, you know, to commemorate the occasion. But yeah, like nobody really knew or nobody on our team really knew. Huh. I mean, I'm sure coach did, but you know, he doesn't, he doesn't like to brag and he's, you know, a real humble guy about it. So he's oh, like, extraordinarily oh, no, humble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's Extra like, no, it was you guys, you guys helped me get here, you know? Yeah. Uh, did you know before you came to Fairleigh Dickinson that New Jersey had hosted uh, two tournaments, two NCAA tournaments? I did. I actually went uh, one of the first days during a, one of the tournaments that was hosted. 
uh, one of the championships. At Carolier in New yeah, Brunswick, at, uh, North Brunswick? Yeah, I went to watch that day. I think I was still in the decision process of like what I was thinking, but you know, just, I wanted to see some of the teams in action because, you know, it's a cool opportunity to see what your future could look like. So I definitely wanted to check it out. Yeah. So uh, what's the atmosphere? You'll have a little bit of familiarity when you get to Kansas city with how NCAA tournaments work. At least you had a spectator's perspective. What was it like watching? Because I've been at Carolier. I don't know if it's called Carolier anymore. I think it has a, a, a more, um, 21st century name yeah right Bolero. it's it's got a more 21st century name but back when i went there uh years and years and years and years and years ago it was carolier lanes uh, right there on route one in north brunswick um and they hosted pba events over the years and wpba and all kinds of new jersey uh, state events and obviously the ncaa tournament what is an ncaa tournament bowling atmosphere like I mean, from having the spectators perspective in the past and then being just a part of it is completely different. I mean, it's it's cool to be a spectator and like cheer on the team, but then being a part of it and being like physically in like involved with the team just is such a great experience because you, you know, you feel all the emotions you, you know, can be a part of the action and contribute to your team's success. And it's, it's intense, but it is such a great experience. And what do you know about any sort of spectator restrictions that'll be in place in Kansas city? Um, I, as of right now, I don't think there are spectators allowed. Um, I know like we have two that are, or two people from the school that are coming with us that will be like our spectators. But this season, there have been no spectators. It's been a live stream out to our parents that are at home. You know, we miss having our crowd there because FDU always shows up. Um, But, you know, we're happy that they show up just as much on the live stream. Yeah, so you're talking about, you know, the energy and the atmosphere of, you know, not just a regular tournament, but you know, the NCAA tournament. So how strange will it be, or will it be any different than what you'd, you'd have experienced already this season? Uh, but how strange is it to have a bowling tournament that is almost like being at a golf tournament in terms of you know what goes on during play, that there's just no reaction from the crowd, whether you do something good or bad? Yeah, I mean, we we make the reaction ourselves then to kind of fill the gap in, you know, a more toned down way, not as excited as the crowd because we don't want to, you know, get too into it or overexcited and then have that be detrimental to us. But, you know, you still have like the environment of, you know, other matches are just as loud. So there is some like background noise. So it's not just completely quiet. But I mean, we definitely miss having our spectators there to, you know, pump us up and be present for us when, you know, things might not go as well, but sure. You know, we we're, we're good at keeping the energy up ourselves or reminding ourselves if we notice things are getting low, we're like, Hey, let's energy up. Let's go. Jenna, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, and I should have probably asked at the outset, do you consider yourself, are you a power player or more finesse 
I've, because we've seen varying styles over the, those of us who've bowled at any, you know, to any degree. And, you know, my career ended in uh, a youth league, probably well, too long ago. I'm not going <laughs> to mention how many years, but uh, you know, my, like I said, my peak was the two thirty. Um, but you know, there are some of us who are, who are power rollers. There are some of us who, you know, barely get the ball, uh, you know, up the lane very slowly, uh, but have good placement. And obviously then there are some of us who are somewhere in the middle. Um, what do you consider your own style? Is it more power or finesse? I feel like I'm toward the middle, but a little bit more power because I, you know, my ball motion down the lane is a lot just straighter and then it hooks in. Like, it's not like I'm trying to make create like angles, like a finesse player. Right. Um, so I'd say more on the power side, but I okay. can, if I need to open it up to have a little bit more finesse. And you're a lefty. So how different uh, do you find the conditions? Because obviously most bowlers like the majority of people in the world are right-handed. Um, do they have to take any special precautions or special measures to make sure that each lane is conditioned uh, equally for lefties and righties? I mean, uh, the way they set the patterns up kind of does that for us. So most, most of all, pretty much all of the patterns are symmetrical. So they, they're the same, like on both sides. So it's just, you know, the right side breaks down quicker because there's more righties. So the one thing I've noticed is I really like, once I have a line, I don't really move as much as, the right-handers might like I may, might make little moves just throughout the day to you know keep my line where relatively where I'm at but you know the righties might change zones they might need to increase or decrease the angles mm -hmm. and to try to you know best play the pattern for themselves and who was your favorite bowler growing up Ooh. growing up it was probably Parker Bone because he was left-handed. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. And a Jersey guy. And he's a Jersey guy. And now he, like, I've gotten to know him over the years and he's just a great guy overall. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the bowling community is, uh, it's so vast because there are so many people who participate, um, but it, it really is, it's also very close knit. I've always got a kick out of that. Um, and they're really good golfers too. I don't know if you know about this, but uh, most of those pro bowlers also really, really good on the golf course. Yeah, no, my dad, if summertime, if he's not bowling on the weekends, he's out on the golf course. See? He loves it. He tried to get me into it, but my patience goes as far as mini golf and that's about it. <laughs> Well, listen, good luck in Kansas City, uh, opening round against Sam Houston State on Wednesday. And uh, we look forward to uh, following your exploits on the live stream. And uh, I'll certainly be keeping the audience updated on uh, how you guys are doing out there uh, in the NCAA tournament. Thank you so much. That's Jenna Henderson. And next, we will welcome in her head coach, Mike Lepresti. Coach, with the UConn women having been knocked out of the basketball tournament, I don't think we have any other area contenders for an NCAA title in the winter sports. So to borrow the line from Star Wars, you're our last hope, Obi-Wan. Hey, that's, a, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great 
opportunity for us and it's a it's a great feeling just to you know represent our region and our and our area and our states and in the metropolitan New York area really proud to be uh, representing this group and um, you know it's uh, we, our, our program over the history we, we're used to being like the last team alive you know uh, going at it we've been lucky to had a couple of positive results but um, when we get there you know it's um, our goal is just to treat it as if it's just like an, a normal match or a, a normal tournament because um, we really don't know what we're going to come across. Uh, we, we, mo- the only teams we've played were basically the NEC teams, the local teams. We haven't faced the teams in the central region and the, the Midwest at all this year. So, you know, we, we, we don't know how we match up, but on the flip side, they don't know anything about us either. So, it should it should be you know a great tournament. Now you're being modest when you say you've had positive results. You're a two-time NCAA champion, 2006 and 2010. You were also the runner-up in 2012. And uh, you know, I talked to Jenna about your accomplishments as you are the only coach in the history of the program, going back uh, almost 20 years now. But you are also the only bowling coach in NCAA history with not only over a thousand wins. But back on February 20th, you hit number 1500 and your team didn't even know about it because you don't talk about it. So congratulations. And uh, what was it like to hit that milestone number 1500? Well, you know, you're right. I mean, this is a team sport and, you know, the focus is team first and the, uh, you know, personal accomplishments, you know, always take a back burner, a back seat, but, you know, for me, it's, you know, it's a nice feeling, you know, but, but in reality, anything you have an accumulation record, it just means you've been around a long time, you know, but it's the, the positive, the 1500 wins. It's because we've had a lot of great families who um, allowed their student athletes to come in our program and believe in what we were trying to accomplish and believe in the, you know, uh, the message and the training and the philosophies of, of what we put forth. And, um, you know, when you have, you know, a lot of really good kids in the program over the years, you, you accumulate a lot of wins, you know, and uh, it's, um, you know, there's it, a lot of great programs too out there. You know, we, we've just been fortunate. We came across our program, the, just to go back a little bit in history here, our program was the 40th program that signed up for NCAA bowling way back when in 2002. And that's what made it an official championship sport. So the NCAA needed 40 programs to have a national championship. So we were the team that put us over the top. And then it was pretty awesome that, you know, in our fourth season, we won our first championship. And basically with the first recruiting class, the first three student athletes that we recruited were starting in that national championship match. And, you know, and we're on the lanes when we did win it. So, I mean, that alone right there is just a phenomenal experience and a phenomenal story. And, and over the years, though, again, it's just constant, like, roll with the punches, constantly evolving, making adjustments uh, throughout the years. And, of course, the support of the school, um, the support of the institution to our program where they didn't have to invest in us like they did. And they didn't have to give us the five full scholarships early on, which helped us recruit some, you know, top-notch talent, you know, and then, you know, plus, plus the institution again um, has really supported us and treated us as equals, you know, b- bowling 
overall, you know, has a knock, you know, we lack a little respect. A lot of people don't look at us as a, as an athletic sport. So at FDU though, bowling always mattered and they always treated us as student athletes. So, you know, they, I hate this uh, label that they, they give the bowlers. They're called unconventional athletes. And to me, it's, it's such um, a negative stereotype because these players, particularly this team as well, they really work just as hard as any of the student athletes, any other sport. And it's, it's, a, it's a repetitive style skill sport. So no, no different than golf, no different than track, no different even than baseball and, and softball, you know, so, you know, and that's how we train them in that respect. So we always have to like earn our respect and then the success always, you know, gives it to us. Well, I have to tell you, as I explained to Jenna uh, in our previous conversation, I am 100% in your corner in terms of sport versus activity. Um, any Anything that, you know, you can go from 200 plus or, you know, perfect game 300 one day back to, a, you know, a 150 the next, that that, that takes skill. And, and the hand-eye coordination, I, I think uh, it absolutely is a sport and, and should be in the minds of everyone. Uh, qualified as that. Hey, uh, before we start to talk about the, the challenges of coaching a team in the COVID era, I want to uh, wrap up conversation about the tournament that you're heading out to to play uh, first Sam Houston State in the opening round on Wednesday in Kansas City. You talked about the 40 programs uh, back in 2002 that now made this an official uh, NCAA sport. But if you look at the list of the championships since the first tournament in 2004 mentioned you guys have won two same as Vanderbilt and Stephen F. Austin, Maryland Eastern shore, which, you know, does not have a sports championship pedigree by any stretch uh, has three of them. Nebraska has won five and there were only two other schools, Sam Houston state who you'll face on Wednesday and McKendry with one apiece. So that's seven schools that have ever won championships. What makes you seven schools so much better than everybody else. Well, it, it's, it, it's all different, you know? So my perspective was I was going to treat it as an athletic team from the beginning. So I always went out and looked for bowlers who were played other sports. Okay. So, so I was going to train them like athletes. And I always felt that an athlete, a student athlete who bowled, gave us an edge over somebody who just bowled. Okay. And then we it, it just, just all different types of, of skills are earned and, and trusted through the athletic mindset, you know? So in bowling nationwide, many of the high school players are only coached by their parents or, or they're, not, they're coached on by like a Saturday morning volunteer. When you play other sports, you're being coached by a stranger, you know, somebody who is, you know, a professional, and so I felt like if I wanted to attract those type of student athletes to come to our program, so then, you know, I wouldn't be too overly intimidating or they would, they would buy into what I was trying to teach them and trying to work and improve and evolve them into the, you know, a, a national level player. Um, so, so that was our perspective, you know, and then, then you have uh, other programs like Nebraska, you know, who they, they, you know, they're a big 10 school now, you know, back then they weren't in the beginning, but now they are. And, you know, that school totally bought it and they have lanes on campus, two full-time coaches. 
So, you know, so, so they are looking in their perspective is they're, they're teaching their kids more like a bowling program, bowling skill oriented program, but they have the facilities and the funding to do it. That, that, that goes the same with like Merrill and Eastern Shore, who um, same type of thing. They were just recruiting like international players, the top players from, from all over the world to come in. And they had a lot of, a lot of success doing that. You know, and then like Vanderbilt, same thing, an SEC school. So big investment, lanes on campus, two full-time coaches. You know, they so so that's why the success there. In, in uh, the two Texas schools, like uh, SFA and Sam Houston, who we play, you know, in the first round, they're, they're like state schools there. So they have like low tuition, but Division One big investment. So they have, again, like Sam Houston has lanes on campus, SFA doesn't, but, they, you know, their, their bowling center is very cooperative with them, but they have full-time coaches. So, so again, so that's kind of like what it is. It, it's it's uh, FDU and, and teams in the Northeast where I'm a part-time coach and, you know, and this year I didn't even have assistant coach, you know, because of COVID right. and because of furloughs. I'm going at it by myself. So, you know, and, and that's why we're kind of unique, but, but basically what it comes down to is experience, you know, and being able to attract, you know, the, the, the student athletes that come and then just training them correctly. So everybody has different philosophies, but the bottom line, when it comes down to, you know, my, my first uh, collegiate bowling uh, team that I ever coached, dates all the way back to the 1980s when I was a, a, a coach for a William Patterson club teams back way back then, but both men and women. Okay. So, so I brought that to the table when FDU, we started the program at FDU. So I had a lot of experience and, and competed against all like Bill Straub from Nebraska and competed against all the best coaches and best programs all along. So, so for me, I have a lot of, you know, background experience and just, again, trying to persuade the families of these student athletes to buy into what I was trying to tell them. You know, that, that first team, I told them, I said, look, we're going to win championships here. And uh, I don't know what all the coaches are telling you when they're recruiting you, but I'm going to tell you, I know, you know, we're going to win championships here because I did, I've done it. You know, I won championships at William Patterson. So, so therefore um, that gave me a little bit of an edge, but, but the limitation comes because we're all still in it. Right. So I'm doing this for almost 20 years at, at the NCAA level but I'm still in it. So, so it's not like, you know, I, you know, it's a kind of a sport where I don't have to map out like defenses, you know, you know, and then like football or basketball, you know, or uh, I have to, if I don't, if I don't recruit the top pitchers in the area, we're going to struggle. So in, in this game, you know, we can bring in um, uh, even a middle level high school skill level players and coach them up in a very rapid way. And then, you know, uh, hopefully uh, we'll get them to the national level like we did this year and, you know, and, and knock heads with all the big schools, the SECs and the Big Tens. I mean, and that's, and that's really the, the story of us. And, and the other schools are following the same model that we put forth. So, again, strength and conditioning. So we were one of the first programs that incorporated strength and conditioning way back in like 2004, 2005, where we, we got involved with, it, with a strength coach. And then, you know, the other schools saw what we were doing and saw how our endurance was better and how our balance was better. Our core strength was, was, was better than the other programs. They, of course, they bought in, you know, and they, they, they did the same thing that we were doing. So it, it, it's kind of like a combination of a lot of things. In the long run, though, 
in the long run, you're going to see more programs start winning titles or, or advance to the NCAA tournament. Like we finally got the field expanded. So, you know, I was lucky to be on the committee, the national committee, when we added uh, automatic qualifiers, right. but that wasn't until like 2015, 2016. You know, so before that, it was only Elite Eight. Only the top eight teams got it. So if the NCAA is only limiting eight teams to the national final, that's why there's only so few schools, you know, that have won. Now that it's expanded to 16, you're going to see more teams start winning. Hopefully, we'll get number three this year, you know, and then everybody else is going to have to wait another year. Yeah. Now, as for those 16 this year, four of them, NEC schools, uh, what does it mean to you as a coach in the conference to have three of your competitive uh, or competitor schools going to the dance with you? Oh, it's tremendous. The, the, the administration at the NEC is so proud and so excited. And, you know, we, again, we were on the ground floor. We were one of the programs on the ground floor, a charter team when we started this in 2009. And it wasn't easy getting programs to buy in schools in the NEC to buy in, but they did. And, um, you know, so now going out there with the four of us, you know, um, you know, we, we got NEC has a great opportunity to bring home a big trophy. You know, the big trophies go to the final four. And of course, the biggest trophy goes to the champion. But but I mean, like the only thing I'm, I'm disappointed in is that um, teams are going to knock heads. I wish they put all four of us in the four different regions. And that would have been, been great. It would have been like, you know, Big East back in the late 80s, right, you know, right. and, and men's hoops when they had three of the four teams, you know, in the final four. So, so, I mean, that, that's kind of like when I, you know, we all along, I felt we were going to get four teams. I mean, our, our, our season this year was, was a little different, unconventional. We kind of only did, most teams only did conference competition, but you could see the level of play has improved and is, and, and the coaching is so much better than it's ever been. So, you know, getting four teams in the final 16 is, you know, it's, um, it's definitely um, something that we deserve. Yeah. Now talking about the experience, you have obviously had experience at the tournament, but if my math is correct, this is your first trip in four years. And I'm not sure if you have anybody on the squad now who would have been a freshman back then. So as far as the experience for your ladies, when they take to the floor of the alley on Wednesday in Kansas city. How do you expect them to feel? How will you be feeling? Will it be more a sense of relief that you're back in this or on this stage or is it uh, sort of old hat for you by now? Well, we, we don't have anybody that's, that's been in the NCAA tournament before uh, on, on this group. You know, th th this was a group because the way it works now with so many, uh, programs in the Midwest to have like top-notch coaches. I mean, McKendry, for instance, their division two, they have the, uh, the team USA coaches as, as their coaches. So they have a big leg up and to attract those type of players into their program. Um, but so for us, what we are, our, my plan basically once the AQs came about, which we knew we can get an automatic bid just by winning the conference, we changed our plan. You know, we went after a different style of, of student athlete who bowls where we were going to go uh, mid-range, uh, uh, maybe kids in the top 100, that, that zone, maybe 50 to like 150 in that, that area, and then coach them up. And we knew it was going to take some time. So we've been grooming this group all along. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. Last year, we feel we would have made it. 
Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, the, the postseason got shut down. Right. We were one of the hottest teams in the country last year at the end of the year. And, you know, we were just steamrolling. When our last 10 matches and rolling into the NEC tournament, we, we were uh, hot as fire. And uh, we would have, we uh, I think, done very, very well. And if it didn't win the conference, we would have gotten a large bid. But, um, you know, hey, look, uh, we, we can't, you know, uh, it's water under the bridge, basically. But yes, since 2017. So the tactic we're going to take was we know they're going to have like, you know, uh, a deer in the headlight syndrome when they first get there, you know, because they had never experienced before. We're going to recommend that they take everything like a sponge. We're going to we want them to enjoy the experience. But once we get on the lanes for the practice session, which is going to be um, Tuesday at 430, it's back to business. And we're just going to talk them down to the, you know, run-of-the-mill level of mentality. This is just normal. We're bowling. The best thing you do in life is bowl, athletically, that is. And it's just normal. You know, you've done, you've, you've thrown thousands of shots, and we're just going to continue it, you know. And then the level of competition, again, it's, it's going to be stiff. But it's, I don't think it's going to be any different than we faced all year long. You know, it's, again, it's not a sport where – there's defense, you know, there's different ways we can play a little defense about lane play and different things like that. But, but bottom line, I can't send somebody down in front of the pins and stop the ball, right? Like a basketball, <laughs> right. right? I can't do any of that. You know, I, I can't set up a goal line stance, right? So they can't, you know, you know, run it in. So, so we, we have to do is, you know, just recognize like it's us, you know, it's us against the lanes and the pins and then, you know, focus out what the other team is doing until, you know, you know, when things matter really, so, so that's kind of like how we're going to go about it. And, and that's really what we did in the NEC uh, tournament this year, because we, we, we've made it to the NEC tournament every year with this group, not with positive results where some years we were, you know, Oh, two in the barbecue, you know, and then a couple, then the last time we were, we won the first two and then lost the next two. So, yeah. so we just wanted to go in just saying, Hey, look, you know, it's, you know, we we're number one seed. Let's just play the best we can. And then, uh, you know, it, it, things worked out great. Look, this group, though, because they've been through the war, trials and tribulations over the years and, and developed and evolved and, and, and grown so much since their freshman year. Very mature group, very confident group, very driven group. They, they feel they want to prove to everybody how good we are. And, um, and so I think that's going to lead to a lot of success out there. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, I know you're heading out on Monday and uh, I want you to travel safely. Before I let you go, I just had two more questions. Okay. Um, first about uh, coaching a team in the pandemic. Obviously, I, I have the experience with basketball and volleyball and soccer and uh, baseball and softball, but uh, not so much bowling. And obviously, as I was talking to Jenna, we talked about how it's a little bit perhaps easier to maintain the social distancing, although it's not usually part of the procedure and you're using your own ball, your own shoes. So you don't really have to worry about contamination, but from a coaching standpoint, how difficult has all this been the last 13 months? Well, it's just so many more steps, so many more responsibility that we have now. And um, and so my goal in the beginning, when we started to map out how we're going to train them was um, let's, let's, try to make the unordinary ordinary. So make things more routine. So that was the beginning. So we were lucky that like other NEC schools didn't get this. We were lucky that our, even though we weren't competing in the fall, our institution allowed us to train and work out. And in the beginning it was like 
uh, different kind of groups, smaller groups, you know, different pods. And then eventually we were able to graduate to a full team effort, but spread out. And then eventually we were able to, you know, get a little closer so we could do some team activities. But, but that took like six weeks. And during that six weeks, what I really wanted to focus on was just getting them to a competitive level again. So sure, we did work on skills and sure we did work on um, strength and all those type of things that all athletic teams do. But the one thing that was taken away because of the COVID uh, pandemic was like many areas, the bowling centers were closed for a long period of time. So our kids, as great as we were at, in March last year, many of them didn't pick up a bowling ball until the summer. So they went a long time and everything was basically shut down. Mm-hmm. They could, you know, couldn't bowl league, couldn't bowl tournaments. And so then we had them like do like little mini drills in their garage, in their basement, in their backyard, you know, uh, just rolling balls, trying to do like little foul line skill drills. But of course, that's not the same as competing, right? This is a, this is a sport. So it's all about, you know, my goal is to make them the fierce, most highly competitive student athletes so we can, you know, win matches. So they were missing that. So that's what we did in the fall. We did this, the drills and the skills. We did the strength. But then we, I created all different types of competitions for them just to get them competitively ready. ready. But then, of course, you know, Thanksgiving comes, we get shut down again and the kids get sent back home. You know, so so we, that was my big fear is that, you know, what's going to happen during that break? You know, and, and uh, uh, we had like a big, long break. We weren't able to get started really until February. But once we got started, it was like a distraction in the beginning. The kids were just so happy to be with each other. So the first like half hour, the first couple of practices, I let them do it. Just socializing, re-socializing, right. meeting up with their friends, talking, because everything's isolated. You know, the, the, the kids in the dorms, they have their, they're in their own room. Every, all classes are remote. You know, it's like, like a detention center, you know. So, so the, the practices became more re-socialization. And then once, you know, it, it created a huge bond, like one of the most cohesive groups we've ever had in the history of the program it's this group and they really like each other and they really root for each other and they really push each other and they're so knowledgeable you know uh, about what they need to do so i mean a lot of the times i just take two steps back and watch them do it autopilot you know so i don't know if jenna told you the story our first tournament this year i couldn't go i was quarantined i'm Mm -hmm. I'm a full-time history teacher at fort lee high school so one of my colleagues, unfortunately, was positive and I had a close contact. So I had a quarantine for 14 days back then. Wow. So and of course, it overran into our first tournament of the year, which was down in uh, North Brunswick, Carolier Lanes. So I so the kids went down with an administrator. I was home. So I actually coached the team from home through the live stream, wow. you know, just texting messages. Right. So I was like the OC during a football game, you know, the guy in the booth, you know, with the earphones. Exactly. Right. And it, it, it was crazy. Look, I, I didn't do much. All I did was work like lineups and substitutions, you know, but what made it even difficult was there was like a seven second delay. So now I, I was, so now I had to be extremely proactive, like a frame ahead, trying to figure out what I had to do, you know, because we, we didn't figure out it was a seven second delay to like the second match. How wow. funny is that? That's wild. You know, but, but, um, but the kids did great. They went nine and one that weekend without me there. And, and that weekend was such a growth weekend for them because they really understood that they were good enough 
that they were knowledgeable enough that they can take care of business without the coach there with them. And then after that moment, after that weekend, you know, it's been lights out, you know, we, we, what are we, we're, we're 35 and three. I mean, it's unheard of. Yeah. Now, see, it might be one of the good things to not having an assistant because you <laughs> couldn't get Wally pipped, you know, Rangers fan right. stuff. When David Quinn, you know, left, he, he was, he was quarantined for the Rangers. They brought the guy in from Hartford, uh, and, and they wound up winning nine, nothing. The first game he coached, right. so they were, they were joking that Quinn was going to be Wally pipped and yeah. uh, you know, uh, the, the new guy would be Lou Gehrig. Uh, I want to put you on the spot if you don't mind, because we yeah. have so many bowlers in our audience. You're a premier bowling coach. Obviously the, the accolades, we could go on all day. Um, what can you tell anyone who's listening or interviewing you who has bowled uh, a lot but not so well over the course of one's life. Uh, for example, and I'll throw a hypothetical at you and not me, uh, career high 230, uh, usually averages though around 150 if he's lucky or she. Um, what can you say to anyone without actually seeing how they throw the ball, what they can do to improve their game? Is there anything at all? Sure there is. Okay, so the the bowling ball is heavy, right? So like our, our team, everybody on the team uses fifteen pound balls. They go as high as sixteen. Okay, and the and some years we've had some kids using fourteen, but mostly it's fifteen. That's try to eliminate deflection. But because it's the ball's heavy, it's not like a basketball. It's hollow or a volleyball or a ba- even a baseball. It's only five ounces or a softball, right? Five and a half ounces. Um, the thing is, you don't throw the ball. You got to swing it and you got to roll it. Okay. And, and that's the first thing you got to learn how to swing it and roll. it. And when you swing the ball, it has to be perpendicular to the foul line or parallel to the lane boards. Okay. So then, so how do you do that? Because you're swinging the ball and you're walking toward the foul line, you know, so that's going to take some practice, but also you, you have to teach yourself how to walk straight, you know, and then the ball is way is on one side. So now your body is off balance, right? You're used to having nothing on both sides, you know? So now you have a 15 extra pounds or whatever the weight of the ball is on one side of your body. So now you have to do different things to maintain balance. And that's where the core strength comes in. So, so the whole idea is as you walk toward the foul line, you need to post it at the line. You need to have a solid beast and you have to be like, your body has to be very still. Your head has to be still. You have to walk straight. And you have to have a free swing. And when you get to the line, you have to maintain your balance. So if you ever watch like the best bowlers, that's why they, for a righty, that's why you see that left arm out to the side straight up. And they see their right leg sweep around because that counterbalances the extra weight on the bowling side, on the, on your bowling hand side. Right. Okay. So, so that's where I would start. I always start there. We always start with approach is teaching them how to walk straight, teaching them how to swing freely, you know, and then end at, end at the foul line, perfect balance and try to keep your body quiet, keep your head quiet, you know? So, so now you can be consistent with how you roll the ball. You're not chucking it. You know, you have to roll the ball. Now, of course, as you improve, you got to get a ball that fits. Okay. So if you're like one of those person, people that your ball doesn't really fit well, you can't relax your hand. If you're squeezing the ball, now it's hard to have a free swing. So you have to get a ball that fits and, 
you know, the thumb, the finger holes are constant, but you know, weather, your hands going to change shape. So that's why I use tape, use tape in the holes to keep the holes snug. And if you relax your hand, the ball's going to always fall off your hand. So, so, but it, it, it takes some time, you know, it really does. Look, we, this year, our, our biggest accomplishment in our team, we had a, a, a player come to us this year as a walk-on, basically. We ended up giving her a little bit of a scholarship because she just loves, she's just, you know, passionate about this sport, which so many people out there are. They just love this game. And oh, yeah. It just doesn't get the respect it deserves. But, but she comes, and she's a pharmacy student, very bright student, and FDU has this new pharmacy program. So we brought her in. She came. We, we added her to our program. She came in last year. She was at a high school program. She did bowl in the high school team. She averaged in the 160s. She is so improved, the most improved player on our team. And all we did was exactly what I just described. We just taught her how to walk straight. We taught her how to keep her body quiet. We taught her how to free swing. We got her new equipment, made all the balls fit. And then next thing you know, now she, you know, she shoot games in the 200s. Wow. With consistency. That's so so it, it can happen really rapidly, really quickly. Okay. I just need you one last thing. I know I said last thing before you need to tell my mom throwing the ball halfway down the lane was not the way to teach her sons how to bowl. No, it's not, <laughs> you know, but it's because loft, although loft is necessary when the lanes are hooking, but right. mostly you want to roll the ball. We don't want but to not a third of the way or halfway down. No, yeah. ironically though, I don't know if Jenna mentioned this to you. Her dad does that. He stands up real tall. He had some issues with his back and he launches it and gets it out to the lane, like 10 feet on the, on the lane. And he has over 50, 300s. Wow. So maybe, maybe I'm, that might maybe, be the maybe way there's to something it. to it. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Hey coach, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Good luck out in Kansas city. We'll be tracking your progress against Sam Houston state on Wednesday. And then obviously as you progress uh, through the double elimination uh, region there and uh, hopefully bring home one of those big trophies. Okay. I hope so, too. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. That is Coach Mike Lepresti. Before him, Jenna Henderson. I'm Mark Ernay, and you're on the mark. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.